you know, Donald Trump is going to be here on Wednesday. Yeah. When is Pete Buttigieg going to be here? When is Joe Biden going to be here? I don't know, but they haven't been here yet. Um, I cover labor politics and I try to, you know, get back to uh, uniting rednecks and hippies over class politics. That's what they share in common. Uh, If you have to go to work for a living, you're really in one political party in my book. You have to work to survive. You share the same interest as a lot of people that uh, you might think you're divided with now. But um, in my coverage of labor politics, I have seen over and over again a perfect stage presented to a party, the Democrats, that claims to be the party of the working person. And over and over, where the battle lines are clearly drawn, you have evil monopoly men on one side and you have uh, powerless working class victims on the other side. And uh, over and over again, the response to that situation by the Democratic Party collectively, there are good parts of it, Very, there are a couple of good parts of it, but collectively it's been a shrug. I covered uh, the John Deere workers on strike in Iowa, uh, you know, year, years ago now, I guess. Uh, I covered, you know, what should have been a shoe in steel workers on strike at a plant in West Virginia. The plant is owned by Warren Buffett. The plant is in West Virginia, Joe Manchin's home state. And these steel workers are striking against this billionaire-owned company. Uh, I'm on the picket line, and the only person I see there is a Republican state senator handing out hot, hot dogs to the striking workers. No Biden, no Joe Manchin, you know, the second president in terms of power. Um, yeah. No other Democrats. But here this guy is. He's probably stopping by the picket line on his way to cut workers' rights. But he did show up and he handed out hot dogs and he you know, supported workers that day. So over and over again, you know, the Democratic Party has been given a, a, a lot of chances to prove its roots as the working class party. And I, you know, I would love it if they succeeded, but they've really failed again in this instance as well. That's the thing that really frustrates me, like where I was talking about, there was this reaction to 2016 when Trump won dismissing areas like the Rust Belt, uh, you know, post-industrial America. They explained and summarized the shift in some of these areas that had gone blue in the past to Trump as, well, they were clearly motivated by his rhetoric on immigration or his uh, his racist rhetoric or his xenophobic rhetoric. And may, you know what? Maybe a couple of them, maybe some of them were, but you can't chalk up some of those shifts like Youngstown. I mean, Youngstown is a long time uh, democratic area, democratic stronghold in the state. If you want to win statewide, you have to win, you know, Cleveland, Columbus, you have to get a good turnout in Youngstown and Akron and pull some in Cincinnati. That's your strategy, right? And when you are losing, or they almost lost in 2016, and they did lose that county in 2020, that is not simply because of racist rhetoric. Because like we talked about in the last episode, NAFTA is a household word there. Oh yeah, You have Lordstown, which is completely closed now between those two elections, and in, in the immediate aftermath of Trump's victory, they they eliminated a shift. They had been negotiating with GM for years, and ch- that GM had been chipping away at that union, the UAW union there for years, and now it's gone. You've seen jobs leave that area. It's a shrinking city. It went from 150,000 to around 50 or 60,000. You have all this blight as a result of that flight. And you could 
partially attribute that to NAFTA. And at the same time, when you have the top Democrat campaigning on TPP and union leaders talking to the workers saying, this is not going to be good for us. And you juxtapose that with Trump saying, I don't like this. This is bad for workers. It makes sense for a lot of them. And everything else he says is an afterthought because they're focused on their material needs. And I, I agree with you when you're saying, hey, this is what this is what unites all of us. And a lot of our listeners agree with this, too, because that class that class issue and the, how we identify on class lines connects us all. And, and when we recognize that and we organize around that, it's so much harder for somebody like a Trump to come in and exploit that and say, hey, whoa, the problem is these immigrants that are coming into your neighborhood and taking your jobs. No, the solution is someone coming in saying, whoa, you guys are all connected. You're all in this together. And the problem is the CEO who's taking 90 cents off the dollar from your labor. Your wages should be higher. Their profits should not be at record levels. They shouldn't be taking their profits and doing share buybacks. You need to be you need to be compensated fairly for your labor and you really should be in control. <laughs> like that that's the solution. And we don't have that. We just don't have that. We have Bernie says some strong things sometimes. You know, Ilhan, I love her, but this isn't an issue she talks about with the tenacity that Sanders does. We have a couple people around the country who do, but we don't have this at the top levels of the Democratic Party. So it's so much easier for hollow populists like a Trump to come in and manipulate people. And we're seeing other people start to replicate it. Like Josh Hawley is trying to run on that mm-hmm. same platform. Yeah, or, or J.D. Vance. Yeah. Totally. He's such a fraud. Oh, it's so, him going poking a stick in the water. Yeah. is like the closest he's like been fancy, to manual labor his entire shoes, life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, JD, yeah, yeah. come on. You're not fooling anybody. Yeah, they look pretty good there. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. That's, that's the accurate summary. I mean, I'll add on to it here. Uh, you know, I, I uh, confronted our congressman for the area, Bill Johnson. Um, it's really worth it to understand a little bit. I mean, this fits right into what you're saying, Jordan. Uh, this disaster happened in Ohio's 6th Congressional District. And what's unique about that Congressional District is that there is no other district in the country that's undergone a uh, shift in voting behavior further and faster to the right than Ohio's 6th Congressional District. And like you said, it used to be uh, part of the statewide strategy to win Democratic campaigns in Ohio, so much so that we had a saying for it. To win statewide here as a Democrat, you have to make seven. You have to win the counties along the lake and then the counties down the river, which comprised the 6th Congressional District. Uh, that was the rule. This was a union stronghold in the same way now that it is impossible to win without an R next to your name here. Not so long ago, it was impossible uh, to win without a D next to your name here. There is muscle memory in this area for class-based union organizing and, and that kind of politics. But uh, the Democratic Party as a whole has written that off in pursuit of upwardly mobile, fortunate fifth suburban voters. Yeah. And when you get right down to that, uh, there's not enough people who've gone to college to make you win political elections. Uh, that path's going to put you on the route to a permanent majority. Uh, permanent minority. And unfortunately, the worst part about it is it leaves the territory open for us to be flanked by, you know, well, I use us, but for for Democratic Party to be flanked by people like Trump who are never going to deliver on working class priorities. Yeah, there's that famous Chuck Schumer quote, or infamous now, I should say, prior to the 2016 election, where he said something to the effect of, for every working class 
community that we lose in Pennsylvania. We're going to pick up two uh, in the suburbs, in the in the Virginia suburbs or whatever, um, mm-hmm. which is just a fundamentally flawed reasoning in the first place. Because it's like not only are you abandoning you know these communities. Um, but it's just like, even if you win with that kind of coalition, like, what are you actually gaining? Like, what's your politics when you're convincing these upwardly mobile Republicans to join your coalition? What, like, what have you actually accomplished if you've won an election? But politically, where are you at that point? Like, you're just, you're just a more conservative party that's moving further away from issues that affect working people. That's a great point. What are you going to do with those voters? Because it's not the point of winning elections is not to win elections, it's to use your power. So when those Voters make up your base. Yeah. What kind of ch- power are you going to challenge? Democrats or are hate you that. Going to- yeah. <laughs> Look, I, you know what? This conversation, I want Democrats to win, okay? But I want them to be taken over by a class coalition. And I feel like we need to jump in here and also say, uh, you know, the Republicans are are very, very, very bad. That just kind of goes without uh, assuming. But yes, we really need a home for class brawling. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the whole, I think that's the whole point of criticizing the Democrats on these issues is because it helps conservatives. It helps the conservative movement move into these communities. Like talk about an easy win. Like when you talked about that, that, uh, uh, steelworkers strike, like these are very Mm -hmm. easy things that they could walk in and look, come out looking like heroes. You saw the rail strike that was being planned a couple months ago that Biden administration could have very easily just supported the workers in that strike and acknowledged that they had the right to strike and it encouraged their bosses to just give them the basic, very understandable things that they were asking for, sick days and time off and these things like that, like incredibly underpaid uh, and important workers. Um, but they just failed to do that. In fact, legislated them to go back to work. And all these communities, working class communities, remember that type of shit. Um, oh yeah, you know it's like another you know it's talking about easy wins like this with this whole thing with East Palestine. It would be so easy for them to just come in, even cynically, even from a cynical perspective, come down hard on the side of the working communities that are being affected by this. Come down hard against the uh, railroad oligarchs that control this industry, and they can't even do that. Like now you have Pete Buttigieg now. He's putting together like a sternly worded letter now after like weeks of pressure and weeks of people criticizing them and reporting that have forced them to reckon this issue. Now they're at least like having some mild criticism of these uh, big corporations and these big oligarchic interests that are causing these problems. But it's so simple to come into these situations and look out and support working people and looking like heroes. And they just time and time again refuse to do it. For those of you who can't see the video, I am clutching my pearls with both hands. <laughs> yeah. Sternly worded letters. Uh, yeah, oh no, yeah. Thank you for listening to this sample of the Insurgents podcast. To hear the rest of this episode and for more bonus content, please subscribe at theinsurgents.substack.com. <laughs>